Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show and happy Masters Week. If you have not already signed up for my newsletter, you need to go and do that. How you do it, you go to www.chrisrawl.com. You click on the subscribe button in the very top right-hand corner. Put in your email address. And every Wednesday, starting two days ago, a newsletter from me will be arriving in your inbox where I talk about sports and try to crack jokes, and hopefully both of those things work well in unison. So also, www.chrisrawl.com. Um, it has my past writings, any essays. It has every episode of this show on there. So if you're needing to catch up in any way, shape, or form, go there and do that. Now we move on to the meat of today's episode, where I talk about the differences between Rory McElroy and Tiger Woods and what I want in my own life versus what I want from athletes. What I value in others and what I want for myself can many times be two very different things. They're not always different. Sometimes I look at somebody and say, oh, you are a kind person and I would like that for myself. Or on very basic, simple measures, I see something in another person. I go, I I like that for myself. I want that as well. There are many areas that that differs, especially when it comes to mastering a craft, because the process of creation is very complex and very different depending upon the individual. So I see things that work for someone else and I go, no, no, that would never ever in a million years work for somebody like me. And I've spoken to that in the past because it's one of the subjects that I find to be endlessly fascinating. The topic of motivation the topic of how you go about trying to conduct your business and be better at various things. I've talked about Michael Jordan and Nathan McKinnon and players like that that have this maniacal desire and drive to win and kill and get the hell out of my way, and I'm going to drag everybody who's on my team right down that same path. And I like it in athletes, and I love it in Nathan McKinnon, my favorite player on my favorite hockey team. But I see it, and I go, that couldn't work for me. It's just... My personality is too different. I'm not the person who responds to the iron fist. I'm the person who wants to talk things through and try to go about things in an amicable manner. I think about somebody like Daniel Day-Lewis, an actor. In my opinion, the greatest actor of his generation. He is the star of possibly the best movie I've ever seen, There Will Be Blood. If you haven't seen it, you should go and watch it because... Daniel Day-Lewis within it is a tour de force. Now, Daniel Day-Lewis is also, in addition to being the best actor of his generation, he's not a dude that I would ever pattern myself after, nor really want to hang out with. He sounds kind of miserable in a variety of ways. Uh, The most publicized aspect of Daniel Day-Lewis, as it pertains to acting, is he's a big method actor. He gets in character and he stays there even when he's not being filmed. And it sounds very bizarre to somebody like me because I just don't have any exposure to that. So I hear stories like coming from My Left Foot, a movie that he was in where he plays a guy with cerebral palsy in his left foot. And I'm reading about Daniel Day-Lewis's method acting before I get on to record. And I'm going on Esquire and they're talking about, yeah, you know, As part of this process for this movie where he plays a guy with cerebral palsy in his left foot, he's having the crew on set. He's forcing them to feed him his food, just like he is in the movie. They 
they're carrying him between sets. He's visiting restaurants off camera in a wheelchair. He's acting like this character that he's supposedly playing off screen. And I hear that and I go, I, <laughs> if, I if I were on this set and my job was to carry Daniel Day-Lewis, who has two very healthy feet and legs between sets, I probably would go, this guy's kind of an ass. That's what I would think. And there's a million different examples of just his method of ascending to a place within his profession that very few people have ever ascended to. Tippy top of the acting profession. But he's in Lincoln and he's going around and he demands that everybody on the set call him Mr. President, no no matter who you are. On screen, off screen, makeup person, fellow actors, everybody has to call Daniel Day-Lewis Mr. President. He's acting in gangs in New York and they're filming it outside. There's this big climactic scene where it's winter time and they're getting this big fight. And they're like, between takes, you probably should wear a coat because it's cold as hell. And, he, and he's going, nope, I'm the butcher. That's his name in the show. And he ends up catching pneumonia. And he's sick for a while. And by all accounts, he like has a brush with death. And everybody's just like, you do know you can avoid that by wearing a coat in the wintertime. You don't have to wear a little leather vest that butchers from the 1800s wore. We have access to other things. There's so many examples of this. The the one that I very first found out about was him in Last of the Mohicans, one of his earlier films that I really loved. And he plays literally one of the last of the Mohicans, an Indian tribe. And as part of him preparing and being a part of this movie, he goes out in the wilderness and he's throwing tomahawks and building canoes and skinning animals. And again, helped him go to a place that created a great movie, has turned him into the best of actors. But also for me, just your common layman who does not act and enjoys watching his films, I go, uh, this would be insufferable to be around. It's cool that he likes to do this. I would never want that for myself. <laughs> and I would not want to be friends Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm very content sitting at home watching There Will Be Blood and calling it a day. So there's a lot of ways that I think, and I'm sure that all of you listening probably feel uh, a similar way. Just what you want in your own life versus what you want from others versus the way that you process other situations that you're not a part of. Uh, I like thinking about that a lot, armchair psychologist, what I want in my own life versus, in this case, today's show, what I want in athletes, what I enjoy viewing within athletes. And just like the the intro to the show, that can be two very different things, not always, but sometimes there's a huge disconnect between, if I'm being honest, oh yeah, I really like watching this in an athlete, but I would never want that for myself, nor would I probably want to be around it. There are other areas that I just think, um, this is what I want for myself. And I find it strange that other athletes can't kind of subscribe to the same thing. Before I come on, I'm reading an article on ESPN and Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, he's talking about one of the NBA's current problems. One of the main things that has really, really just stuck a burr in my saddle. Um, and, is making it harder and harder for me to watch the NBA. Just the simple fact that star players don't really play a lot within the NBA. The people who I want to watch the most play basketball are continually not playing 
basketball. So Adam Silver, he's going, yo, we know. I mean, we're not idiots. We understand this is a big issue. So he's talking about various solutions to this problem. And I come across one of these paragraphs that I'd like to share with you because my eyes went about as wide as saucers. Here's the paragraph from Adam Silver talking about this. The other way we can get at it in terms of player participation is creating other incentives. The play-in tournament, I thought, was a beginning of creating renewed incentives for teams to remain competitive and to be fighting for playoff position. It might be through in-season tournaments and changes in format where we can get at it, end quote. So I like where his head is at. But I also read a paragraph like this and I go, well, isn't just the fact that this is a solution part of the problem? This is part of why I'm at a loss when it comes to the NBA. Because I think about my own life and I go, well, if I'm compensated to perform a job, then I perform the job. That's the standard that I have for myself. Some people, a lot of people have that standard. Some people don't. That's fine. We all have different ways of going about our business. But that seems like a pretty simple binary understanding of the workplace, right? Uh, Here's compensation to do a job. Now I expect you to do it. Now, when you move it to the NBA and I go, well, you guys make significantly more money to play a literal game and that if I'm reading this paragraph correct from Adam Silver, that is not enough incentivization to play, to remain competitive and just give effort regardless of where your team is in the standings or whether it's a cold February Tuesday and you're playing against some bum-ass team. I find that to be very bizarre that this is an issue within the sport, and yet it is. Again, I talk about this a lot. I go, why are why are all these NBA games coming on? And out of the 15 players I want to watch on any given night across a slate of games, seven are available. I don't really know why the other eight are gone. So this is an area that I think is pretty easy for me to apply what I want in my own life and understand it's the same what I want from athletes. I go and perform my job. I'm compensated for it. I feel good about that. I don't sit here going, I need additional incentives. What are the other ways that I can be motivated to perform my own job? Now, there are a lot of other things that go into the world of sports where maybe there is somewhat of a disconnect between the way that I think and the way that things are, the way that things are perceived, the way that things are talking about. A good example here would be two quarterbacks that I'm always talking about. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and the difference in perception. And this has reared its head again very recently, and I haven't talked about it too much on this show. And I think this is a very good episode to kind of examine just the continual ways that both of these players are treated very differently, even when the behaviors exhibited are the exact same. I think this is tied into just kind of the mythical qualities that we ascribe to athletes that reach the tippy top of their profession. Like, oh, these people just, there's no way that we can possibly comprehend what's going on. And so they must have some greater understanding of humanity or how to go about their business than I have. Me, a simple podcaster and a person who writes a weekly newsletter, right? So Aaron Rodgers, years ago, uh, he helps usher Mike McCarthy out the door. I was ecstatic because 
I couldn't stand watching Mike McCarthy coach just there on the sidelines with the cow chewing cud face, hoping that tonight's two for one Panda Express coupon hasn't expired. It was really just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take how much Mike McCarthy and his coaching style was dragging down Aaron Rodgers on a lot of teams that just didn't necessarily have the talent relative to their peers, and Rodgers was propping them up with otherworldly play. So Aaron Rodgers, obviously, he understands that just as much as I do. I'm merely a person who watches all of his games. He's there day in, day out of practice. After McCarthy was fired, there's so many stories, including one notable one that came out from Sports Illustrated that just documented a lot of really bizarre things uh, about Mike McCarthy and just how little respect everybody pretty much within the organization had for him. And just, this guy's not a good football coach, which makes it funnier that a couple years later, the Dallas Cowboys have hired him and still continue to employ him, but that's a whole other story. So Mike McCarthy, he's ushered out the door. I applaud. I say, good riddance. Finally, hopefully we can get somebody in place that can better accentuate what Rodgers has to offer. And they found that with Matt LaFleur. It's been an incredible match. It's made me very wishful that we could have had a different coach paired with Rodgers for his career in a way that Brady had with Belichick. So where this got really bizarre is because Rodgers, at this point in time and still into present day, he had only won one Super Bowl. He had only participated in one Super Bowl. And so the guy who everybody loved watching, just this scintillating talent, wins the Super Bowl early on, 2010, and wins the MVP 2011, wins the MVP 2014. People are applauding him, but then they're not going back to the Super Bowl. And by the time it's 2015, 2016, 2017, people start to turn on Rodgers because the number one sin you can commit against the viewing public is you are not consistently winning as an individual in a team sport. So you don't get the benefit of the doubt if you are now in this position. Uh, Any mythical qualities that could be ascribed earlier on in your career or just a general acknowledgement of incredible talent that's maybe weight, weighed down by surroundings. Instead, this turns into continual commentary on the individual. So how this worked with the McCarthy thing is became this huge negative story about Aaron Rodgers. He's a coach killer. Why couldn't he make it work with Mike McCarthy? This is a huge issue. Look how many games they won together, which made me want to hammer my head with a hammer, a literal hammer, Because I'm going, yes, they won a bunch of games because Aaron Rodgers is good at quarterbacking. Uh, Put him with other people and they probably will win even more games. As we've seen with Matt LaFleur. Last three years, Green Bay's won 13 games. First team in the history of the NFL to do that. What was also weird about this is I thought about my own life and what I desire for myself. And I go, well, I'm going to defend Rodgers regardless because he's my favorite football player of all time. But. I think this is a pretty logical and easy to understand thing. What I want for myself is the same thing that Rodgers wanted in this situation. If a coworker is completely hamstringing my ability to do my job over and over and over, I just I probably wouldn't want to work with that person. That's a pretty common thing for everybody to have. Think of anyone in your life. Think of yourself. You all have people who are you around that you go home and you like to bitch to your spouse about and say, this person is an idiot and Here are all the ways that they made my job harder today. That's just how the workplace works, you know? 
And to take it a step further, in Rodder's instance, it would drive me insane if I had to continually shoulder and answer for the incompetence of my coworker, which is what he had to do for years and years and years and years with Mike McCarthy. So I understood it, and I thought it was weird that he was getting blasted, but sometimes that's the way that the news cycle works. That's sometimes the way that news media works. That's sometimes the way that fans work, especially with somebody who has not won. Now things that could just be seen as normal human behaviors, they tick on the negative scale. So that leads me into another recent player-coach clash that happened that has been received in the exact opposite way. Now remember, again, as I mentioned, remember that tendency to ascribe almost mythical qualities to those that have reached the pinnacle of their profession. Think of somebody like Michael Jordan. Think of somebody like Tiger Woods, who I'm going to get into. Think of somebody like Tom Brady. Um, It's this idea that their winning is tied into something so incomprehensible that mere humans like me or like you could never understand. And on some levels, maybe that is true depending upon the person. Again, we're going to get into that with Tiger Woods because I think he is a very interesting person to examine in that particular context. However, in Brady's case, I just don't really believe any of that at all. Talked about that a lot. I will talk about it many times more. It's a great passion project of mine. But The recipe for the unprecedented success that Brady has seen in his career as an individual quarterback, for me, I go, there's a lot of luck, there's a lot of circumstance, there's a lot of situation, and there's a lot of him just being good at football. That's an incredible recipe to blend together, and because of it, we have seen Super Bowls and Super Bowls and Super Bowls at a rate that we've never seen before in this game. However, I think that Brady believes the myth of Brady as much as anybody, just this idea that Nope, you cannot understand how I win, and I have single-handedly willed my team everywhere I've gone into all of these Super Bowl appearances and Super Bowl titles. And I think because he believes that, it's why he was very, very careful to manipulate the way that the Bruce Arians removal was handled. Bruce Arians, former coach with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a lot of reports coming out that there was a huge rift between him and Brady after this season. Partially the reason that Brady would not be returning when he announced his retirement. A lot of just similar things that we were hearing that Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy had. Just for whatever reason, these are two people in the workplace that do not mesh. And Brady is mad about it for whatever reason, as is his right. And so he's figuring it's easier for me to not return because I don't want to work with this person. So he unretires a couple weeks after he retires. And coincidentally enough, Arian, he goes the other way. So now Bruce Arians is not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach. Todd Bowles moves into his place. And it was kind of just met with like, oh, yeah, okay, okay whatever. And my eyebrows get start raising up and I go, well, now hold on a second. Hold on a second. Why are we not getting the continual firestorm? Why are we not diving deep into this? in a way that we've gotten with a lot of other athletes and coach clashes. Athletes that have not won at unprecedented rates. And for me, I go, well, it's just, I mean, it doesn't align with what we want from our very tip-top athletes. The things that are different from ourselves, we don't want that. Whereas I look at the brady Arian situation and I go, I'm honestly not really faulting him, but it's just kind of a common thing that has occurred here, much like with Rodgers and McCarthy. 
It's a person who didn't like working with somebody else, so they utilized their power to have them removed. That's what occurred here. It seems very simple to understand. There's nothing mythical about that. It's a very human behavior. It's something that I personally have felt in my own life, something that I'm sure all of you have felt as well. I'm not angry about that part of it, but I am frustrated that the way that these stories are covered, depending upon who is involved, because then it leads to just these really insane talking points and narratives that, again, once you flush them out, it it turns one person into a, a myth and another person into the lowest form of athlete. Just, ah, selfish, glaring at his coach, getting him fired. Oh, Tom Brady did the same thing? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, he's won a bunch of Super Bowls, so let's just gloss over that. So that takes me into what I will be thinking about for the next at least three days. Masters is on. I am recording this right before the opening tee times on Thursday. It will come out Friday morning. So know that I know nothing about any scoring that has occurred. But I think there's a really interesting philosophical discussion about motivation, about the myth of certain athletes, and about this thing of what I want for myself versus what I want to watch, what I think is cool in others but maybe don't necessarily want for myself. So that leads me into Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. And this whole episode was kind of jump-started earlier this week. I was listening to a podcast called The Shotgun Starts, my favorite golf podcast. And the two hosts are having a conversation about Rory at Augusta. And they're talking about press conference of Rory's. And he's kind of reflecting in a way that Aaron Rodgers does a lot. There's actually a lot of similarities between the way that these two verbalize themselves through the media. They're very upfront and they like just kind of musing on their current state of being and understanding the past and the future and how that ties together into the present. Stuff that I really like within my own life, that's part of the way that I create. That's what I like to write about, how I like to podcast, just that continual connecting thread between past, present, and future. So Rory's sitting there and he's talking, he's reflecting about his career. He's saying, I've been playing at the Masters for over half my life. Just kind of this musing about, oh, let's take a step back and just think about this thing that has occurred uh, and what it means. And so one of the hosts of the Shotgun Start, they're going, Rory, to me, seems like he's kind of starting to understand his own mortality, which I don't necessarily think is the best thing for a professional athlete. And this is a very interesting comment to me, and it made me think more. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually, that's true. And it's weird because that's literally the thing that I want for myself. What Rory is uh, exuding and feeling and kind of musing about. This idea that life is a finite experience. So maybe savor it. Maybe take some time out and go, ah, This one thing didn't go my way today, but there's a lot of other things worthy of celebration. I try to ascribe that into my own amateur golf career where I can go and piss my pants in a two-day tournament like I did last week and go and feel in a good enough place that I can leave and go and enjoy myself that Friday and that Saturday and that Sunday and not sit and dwell on just this failure on the golf course that I was a part of for 36 holes. I can leave and say, you know what? I'll try to do better next time. I tried my best there. 
just didn't have it. But there's a lot of other things that go into the experience of life beyond how I performed in this two-day tournament. I think that's, I think everybody thinks that's a really good perspective to have. It's the healthiest manner of trying to deal with mental and emotional stress that can come in a variety of ways. That's what I try to do. Not always perfect at it, but I try. And, and Rory, I think, has gone down a similar path, especially over the last few years. As he's gotten older, gets married, has a kid, just the random stuff that happens in life. <laughs> and yet, as a professional golfer, as a professional athlete, I, I kind of do agree, yeah, that might not be the best thing for a professional athlete. Uh, it, it might partially be what has been holding Rory back in certain ways. It might partially be why Rory hasn't won a major since the 2014 PGA Championship at Valhalla. Uh, it, within this sport that is just hyper-competitive, that requires so much work, both physically and emotionally and mentally, maybe being aware that life is pretty cool and there's room for other things that might not be the best thing. It's a very strange thought, yet it's also something that I want to watch because that is Tiger Woods. The person who, again, I'm recording this as soon as I'm done, I will be going and watching him tee off on hole one. But the story of this week, the Masters is already great, but Tiger coming and playing, it just overwhelms everything. It's the singular story that can dwarf every story in golf by nine miles. And there's nobody in any sport, golf or otherwise, that has ascended to a level of mysticism more than him. Now, this is one, unlike Tom Brady, where I go, I don't know. I think golf is a very spiritual and mystical sport based upon my own experience. And there's a lot of stuff in it that unless you play it a ton, you just can't understand. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that pertains to the sport that you just, it's impossible to say like you could with a quarterback, you know what, look at this throw, look how good this throw was. There's just certain things that happen in golf and you go, I don't know, I can't explain it, I can't understand it but this is a game that is 90% mental. And it's been mastered in a lot of ways by Tiger Woods. And when you understand that this game is predominantly mental and you cannot get inside another person's brain, you cannot understand how he thinks, you start to go, well, how can you explain some of these things that have occurred within his career? Uh, Tiger versus Rory. Rory's ascended to a place where... I feel, you know, good about life. And if I don't win stuff, that maybe is not the end of the world. That's never been Tiger. Tiger's been the maniacal, hyper-competitive, this is the only thing that gives me meaning in all of life style of athlete. It served him incredibly well on the golf course through an incredible array of adverse circumstances. I watched the HBO documentary about him years ago. And I knew this stuff was going on, the off-field drama that eventually culminated in the 2008 Thanksgiving thing with his wife and now all of his affairs and just off-course dalliances coming to light. But what I didn't fully understand until I watched the documentary is for years and years, this stuff was known. It was understood. Tabloids had various photographs and they were connecting the dots of him sleeping with Waitress X, Waitress Y, Waitress Z. So he has this hovering over himself and he knows the shit's going to hit the fan at some point. And meanwhile, leading up to 2008, there's years that this is there and he's going to these tournaments and playing through this off-field drama, which 
I can attest to in my own life, if I have off-field things weighing on me and I try to go and play golf, it does not go well. I've done that recently. I've done that before. I just can't focus because when you try to clear your mind, your mind will continually go back to the thing that's weighing it down. That's just the way that the human brain works for the vast majority of people. Somehow, Tiger was different because he could go on the course and he's winning majors, he's winning tournaments, and he has this bombshell that's just hovering over him. It's an incredible feat when you think about it. Yes, he puts himself in that situation that's its own thing. Strictly as a performance uh, indicator, if you will, I don't really understand how it's possible to have that level of stress weighing on you off of the course and then show up, perform against the best in the world in this sport that is all mental and continually win. But Tiger just didn't leave it there. I mean, it's just on and on and on. Physical stuff, he's winning the U.S. Open. He beats Rocco Media in a playoff on a fractured leg, torn ACL. He's coming back off of the 2008 scandal and taking a bunch of time away to the 2010 Masters when he comes back, finishes top five, I believe, uh, just showing no signs of rust in a sport that you can't just jump back in and play and not have rust. It's impossible. And yet there it was. He's overcoming back surgeries, knee surgeries, coming back and winning after those things. He's overcoming the chip yips, the number one thing that we know. It's just, there's really no way around once a sport that is all mental, once this thing enters in and overcomes your brain, whether it's with a putter, chipper, drive, doesn't matter, the ability to pull the trigger, you don't know how to get rid of it. It's just, how do you do that? And somehow he, he did uh, culminates just kind of all of these things into him winning the 2019 Masters and the greatest comeback story in the history of sports. A sport that is all mental, all of these things lined up, lined up, lined up over the course of over a decade. And Tiger, because he is so sociopathic in his focus and so sociopathic in his desire to compete in ways that literally defy my own comprehension, in ways that I do not want for myself, in ways that I wouldn't even wish on other people around me. I go, no, that, that can't be healthy. That's what leads him down the road to being what many believe is the greatest golfer of all time. And also what leads us to a road where I say, that's this is incredible to watch in an athlete. That's why Tiger is the draw that he is in golf. He's the only person in my life that has ever just kind of gone beyond the sport where people who do not follow it say, oh, Tiger is involved. All right, well, what's going on here? Uh, it's that hyper-competitive drive that leads him this week to be playing in this tournament. Uh, we don't even know that that's going to be happening in the week, two weeks leading up to it. And we start catching wind of it and he's playing the practice round. There's a trillion people watching it. And I'm just like, all right, this is happening. And I'm going and laying money down on various props that I just think, this guy is, he's cut from a different cloth than everybody and anybody in a way, again, that I would not want for myself, but it's magnetic to watch. He's sitting in a press conference a couple days before and somebody's going, yeah, do you think you can win this year's master? Just lobbing up a softball to him, but Tiger in the Tiger way, just deadpans goes, yeah, I do. And they move on to the next question. Like it's not even up for question. And if you follow his career and know Tiger Woods, you go, well, that's true. There's no way that this guy is going to enter into this tournament and try and fake his way through that. He believes that. Whether that comes to fruition, again, he could shoot an 80 today after I record this. He could miss the cut, whatever. But 
The simple fact that he is there speaks to this. Um, it, it speaks to there is something in this dude's mind that is very different from his peers. It's very different from somebody like Rory, a person who I personally would like to pattern myself at mentally. There's something very different there because 14 months ago, he gets in a crazy car accident that nobody knows what happened in, but his legs are mashed up. They're going, we might have to amputate him. Now there's a bunch of metal things in him. Are you going to be able to walk? Are you going to be able to go? Who knows? And 14 months after that, he's somehow set to compete in the most prestigious golf tournament in the world against the very best at that particular thing. It's an incredible story, regardless of what occurs on his scorecard over this week. Um, just this morning, as I'm finishing up the preparation for this, I have a master's thing on, and they're interviewing Alex Smith, the former quarterback for the Chiefs, the Niners, Washington. And he went through a very similar injury. If you remember him on Washington near the tail end of his career, he gets his leg just completely mangled. Uh, they're worried that they're going to have to amputate it at the time. Horrific injury. Way long rehab. He's out for a super long time. Uh, and he jumps through all these things. And after a couple of years, he comes back and he plays a couple games for Washington. He's nowhere near what he used to be. But I think just the fact that he made it back there is an incredible story in its own right. But Alex Smith is talking about this injury. And he's just like, uh, yeah, like until you are in it, you don't understand the amount of work and dedication, all that kind of stuff that's required to just come back from an injury this horrific. And not even in like an athletic sense, but just to be able to get movement back, to be able to walk, to be able to do those things. And he's talking about, I can still remember vividly the first time I was able to go and play 18 holes of golf. It was this huge achievement. It was well after 14 months into my rehab. And he's just kind of musing about, I don't know how kind of Tiger is doing this. This comes from a professional athlete who's gone through a very similar thing, plays a very different sport, but still understands this process. And he's going, I don't know. I don't know. And that's just kind of sometimes where you get to um, as I play armchair psychologist and think about what is going on in some of these people's minds. I, I think sometimes you can understand and other times, like with Tiger, I just, I toss up my hands and go, I don't know. There's something there that's different. And it's kind of funny as I think about the desires that I have in my own life versus what I really enjoy watching in athletes. That's just kind of funny, just an interesting thought because I want to be the Rory style of person as far as what my brain is doing. You know, life is filled with a lot of things. So enjoy it, savor it. Make room for all the things you love. That's probably a pretty good way of going about your business. And yet, Rory applying that to his golf career makes him less attractive to watch than the opposite. What I actually truly crave to watch in an athlete. What I want to watch with Tiger. That idea that life is golf. Life is competition. Life is winning. Life is overcoming adversity so I can golf and compete and win. And I will annihilate any obstacle, whether that's mental, whether that's physical, whether that's a field of human beings standing in my way. I will annihilate anything that gets in my way. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawls Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. 
Remember, if you have not already subscribed to my newsletter, it's coming out every Wednesday. The first one just dropped earlier this week. Go to www.chrisbrawl.com, click the subscribe button, put in your email. It will show up on Wednesday morning. Simple as that. Now go enjoy watching the Masters. I'll be back on Tuesday of next week, presumably to talk about things that have occurred. Peace. Peace.